Good morning, I'm Jermaine and I'm going to be doing the reading for today. So a reading from Matthew chapter 2 from verse 1 to 12. And that is on page 807, the Church Bibles. Matthew chapter 2 from verse 1 to 12. Okay, I read. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of, Ju- in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Thank you, Jermaine. Good morning, everyone. My name is James. It's great to be with you this morning. Let me pray as we begin. Father, thank you that you are here with us. I pray that you would speak to each one of us this morning. Help us to come away knowing more of the good news of Christmas. Amen. I wonder when you started counting down to Christmas. Maybe it was when you opened the first door on your advent calendar. Maybe it was when that John Lewis Christmas advert came out. That was November the 13th, which is 42 days before Christmas. I'm a teacher, so it feels in some ways like I've been counting down since September when my term began. As the days get shorter and winter draws in, we count down the days until the festive period. It's the expectation of Christmas that keeps us going. And then, just like that, it's over. I was watching the comedian Michael McIntyre last week. He was joking that after Christmas, the next thing we have to look forward to in our calendars is Pancake Day, which hardly provides the same level of excitement, does it? As we move into January, many of us are hit by the blues. The third Monday in January is known as Blue Monday, which is known to be the most miserable day in the entire year. Our society seems to view Christmas as a temporary fix to a dark time in the year. It's great while you're looking forward to it, but once it's over, things go back to the way they were before. Still cold, 
still seems to always be dark, and my problems haven't really gone away. They've just been pushed back a bit to be dealt with later. So the pressure's on to enjoy Christmas while it's here. I saw this magazine front cover recently. The caption is, comfort and joy. The implication is, if you buy the right things this Christmas, if you shop at Waitrose this Christmas, then you can truly make the most of it while it's here. What if there's another way? Our society puts its hope in the Christmas period to temporarily lift us out of darkness before we come crashing back down again as soon as we realize it's over. What if the Christmas story could permanently lift us out of darkness with the good news of Jesus Christ? I absolutely believe that it can, and I think that this story in Matthew 2 can help us to see how. This passage gives us lots to talk about. It's truly an amazing story, isn't it? The wise men, sometimes known as magi, which just means magician, are probably some sort of alchemist or scientist, and they live somewhere to the east of Bethlehem. Some scholars think modern-day Turkey, some think Iraq, some think as far away as China. If so, their journey would have been well over a thousand miles. It's thought that they knew of a prophecy from the book of Numbers, which talks of a star rising in the east to signify the newborn saviour. They assume that king will be born in Jerusalem, that's the capital city, so they make their way there, but when they arrive, they're told that instead Bethlehem is the place to go. And I think it's tempting when we look at this passage to focus on the journey of the wise men. It's so mysterious, it's captivated people for centuries. But I don't think that the point Matthew is making comes from the wise men's journey. Matthew, who wrote this account of Jesus' life, was originally a tax collector. He became a disciple and went on to teach the Christian faith throughout the ancient world. As you read his gospel, you can see really clearly that he is a teacher. His writing is always really clear and concise. Look back at the end of chapter 1, verses 24 and 25, to see just how brief Matthew is about the birth of Jesus. There's hardly any detail there at all. Here in our story, Matthew gives us almost nothing about these wise men. We don't know what their names are, we don't know where they come from, we don't even know how many there were. And yet he is incredibly specific about the gifts that these wise men bring gold and frankincense and myrrh. What this means is that these gifts are mentioned on purpose by Matthew to tell us something about this newborn baby. So our focus for today is specifically going to be those three gifts and what they can reveal to us. Gold is a gift for a king. Today, gold is expensive and desirable. 2,000 years ago, this was far more the case. It's the sort of gift that symbolizes royalty. Probably Mary and Joseph had never even seen gold before, and yet here it was being laid down by their newborn baby. It's there to show us that this baby is no ordinary child, but a king. When the wise men reached Jerusalem, they read a prophecy from the prophet Micah. It's quoted in verse 6 of our passage. It's a prophecy of a ruler or a king to be born in Bethlehem who will shepherd God's people Israel. As people heard that prophecy, probably who they thought back to was King David. He was the humble shepherd boy from Bethlehem who became king of Israel, ruled with peace and justice. He's known as the king after God's own heart. Or perhaps people thought of the, the famous psalm that David wrote, Psalm 23, that talks of the Lord being my shepherd, who leads me beside quiet waters, restores my soul, 
guides my ways in righteousness, a shepherd of peace and justice. That's the world that people want, isn't it? As I look around, I see people who long for an end to homelessness, domestic abuse, war and poverty and racism and exploitation. That's why we see a generation rising up who are deeply committed to things like social action and living ethically and environmental protection. As a teacher, I get to spend most of my time with young people and I'm amazed at how much concern they have for our society. I'm not that many years older than some of the people that I teach, but even in the short time since I was their age, I see a noticeable change in how switched on people are about social issues like equality or the climate crisis. And in some ways that's so encouraging. If you don't know many young people, I think you might be surprised at just how thoughtful so many of them are. And yet in another way it's heartbreaking to see people putting their hope in the wrong place. If we solve the climate crisis, and I really hope that we do, this world still won't be perfect. If we reach a truly equal society, and I really hope that we do, this still won't be utopia. Because what we're searching for is God's kingdom. I wonder how you felt last Friday as the results of the election broke. It was a big day, wasn't it? The future of the UK looks much more certain now than it did a couple of weeks ago. It will absolutely have a huge impact on our country. But as we reflect upon the results of the election, we can do so safe in the knowledge that Jesus is our true king. Listen to these famous verses from Isaiah 9. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. He's the one who reigns over all of our earthly leaders. He's the one who will one day return to usher in his perfect kingdom of peace and justice. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't engage in politics, far from it. We should care deeply about our country and its people. But knowing that Jesus is king changes the way in which we engage. Many people pin their hopes on political leaders. They think if the right person comes to power, then things will be made right. The problem is they're always left disappointed. People let us down. Mis leaders mislead and betray us. So other people become disillusioned with politics. They think well, nobody can bring about the change that I want to see, and so they stop engaging. If you're a Christian, then you can be different. Just like the wise men all those years ago, you can pin your hopes on the king who came into our world that first Christmas. He's the leader who will never break his promises and will never let us down. If you were devastated by the results of the election last week, then remember that Jesus is our true and permanent king. If you were delighted by the results of the election last week, remember that Jesus is our true and permanent king. And what you're longing for is God's kingdom. The wise men's second gift is incense, which all the way through the Old Testament is burned as Jewish priests go into the temple to present people's prayers to God. Because of the temple system, people couldn't go into the holiest parts themselves. Instead, priests would go in on their behalf and burn incense. So what incense becomes synonymous with is the relationship between God and his people. As the incense is burned, 
God hears people's prayers. And so the gift of incense from the wise men shows us that God is with us. The relationship between God and his people has gone from being distant to being close. One of the famous prophecies, which is often read at Christmas, is from Isaiah chapter 7, which says, The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. What we see in the Christmas story is that right from the start, God comes in humility to identify with the mess and fear of life on earth. I find there's something comforting about this time of year when we start singing Christmas carols. Some of them are great, and I love ones like Hark the Herald Angels Sing, um, springs to mind. Some of them just don't quite make sense to me. And the one I have a particular bugbear with is Silent Nights, which I'm kind of embarrassed that James chose to play this morning. I know that I'm taking on a classic, but the reason I don't like it is because even though I don't know much about biology, even I know that childbirth is not a silent occasion. And I think that singing that song robs us of the reality of this story. This is the story of a teenage mother giving birth outdoors with no medical treatment because everybody turned her away. It's the story of a newborn baby who ends up being put in a manger because there's no space for him anywhere else. It's the story of a young family who end up on the run from a genocide as every baby boy in Bethlehem is murdered. You can see that story further on in chapter 2. Lots of you know far better than me that childbirth is painful and messy and gritty and fearful and vulnerable. And this is how heaven touches earth. There's no fully grown man drifting down from the clouds. There's no doves or trumpets. There's blood and sweat and tears. The Christmas story isn't clean and tranquil. It's messy and it's fearful. And that matters. It wasn't a silent night. What this means is that Jesus can sympathize with us. When we pray to him, he isn't a a God who doesn't understand us because he has experienced life as a human with all of its ups and downs. This year, as I teach, I particularly work with the students in the sixth form. And I think of some of them who are going through such difficult things, things that many of us have never had to go through. And I can sit and listen to them, but ultimately I can't truly sympathize with them. I'm lucky that I haven't been through the same things that they have. Maybe you feel like no one can truly sympathize with you. Maybe you feel like you have struggles that nobody else is going through. In Jesus, we have a king who knows what we're going through because he has been through it too. If this Christmas might be lonely for you, then Jesus knows how you feel. If it brings back painful memories, he can sympathize. If it's pressurizing and overwhelming, he understands what that's like. And if it's joyful and full of love, then he celebrates Christmas with you. My family always spends Christmas with my granddad, who travels down for the day to join us. One of his traditions, I don't know where it comes from, is called piping in the Christmas pudding. The way it works is someone brings in a Christmas pudding, everybody else goes behind playing a different musical instrument, which is fine for most of my family, who are quite musical. Really embarrassing for me because I'm completely tone deaf. I usually end up with a drum at the back, trying not to embarrass myself too much. A couple of weeks ago, my granddad passed away. And so this Christmas will be different for us. 
I'm aware that for some of you too, this Christmas will be a difficult time. And yet Jesus knows what that's like. If God never came to earth, then grief would be lonely and isolating and final. But it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't mean that it's not painful, but because he came to earth, we don't take those struggles to a distant deity, but to a saviour who has walked this earth before us and is walking with us still. You will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Tim Keller writes that Christmas is the most unsentimental, realistic way of looking at life. Christianity doesn't agree with the optimistic thinkers who say, we can fix things if we try hard enough. Nor does it agree with the pessimists who see only a dystopian future. The message of Christianity is instead, things really are this bad, and we can't heal or save ourselves. Things really are this dark. Nevertheless, there is hope. The Christmas message is that on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. The third gift is myrrh. It's kind of like a perfume, but its primary use was to embalm dead bodies. What that means is that you cover a corpse in myrrh to slow down the process of natural decay and to cover the odor that the dead body starts to produce. I think the danger is we've heard this story so many times that we miss just how inappropriate a present that is for a baby. It's the equivalent of bringing a gravestone to a baby shower. At this time of hope and new life, the wise men's third gift points towards death. Why? Because Jesus' ultimate purpose wasn't fulfilled in his living, but in his dying. As we think about our worlds, we see lots of reasons why it's in such deep darkness. We see bad and selfish leaders who exploit those they're supposed to protect. We see illness and disease which rob people of fully enjoying life. And yet the greatest cause of darkness in our world it's not those things, it's me. It's my judgmentalism that causes divisions between me and those around me. It's my vanity and overambition that fuel my insecurities. It's my arrogance that caused me to live the way that I think is best, rather than the way I was created to live. The Bible paints a bleak but fundamentally realistic view of humanity as sinful, which I think deep down we all know is true. We might be better than some and worse than others, but none of us is perfect. And if that's God's standard, then all of us fall short. The ultimate good news of Christianity, the ultimate good news of Christmas, is that Jesus came to earth to die. We like to think of how we can deserve the good things that we get. Think about the, the myth of Father Christmas, who asks who's been naughty, who's been nice. In other words, who deserves presents, who deserves a lump of coal. The Christmas story confounds our expectations because we see a saviour who treats us how we'd hope, not how we deserve. One of the most famous verses about the incarnation comes from John's Gospel. John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. A little bit later on, verse 16, John writes, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Before Jesus, people could be made right with God through the law. 
the idea was that you obeyed the law and every time you broke the law you made a sacrifice to atone for or to cover for your sin the problem was nobody could fulfill the law everybody kept falling short the grace upon grace that John writes about is that we can still be made right with God but not by following the law not by living a certain way but through the blood of Jesus Jesus' life fulfilled the law for us so that we don't have to in other words Jesus lived the life that we couldn't achieve so that we could inherit the life we don't deserve Reliant K are a Christian band and one of their Christmas songs finishes with the line I celebrate the day that you were born to die that I might one day pray for you to save my life I wonder if you plan to make a New Year's resolution in 2020 I wonder if there's something that you've seen in yourself that you really wish you could change next year is there a trait that you've noticed that you really hope nobody else has seen is there a regret of something that you've done that you're carrying into next year whatever it is that you see in yourself it isn't enough to stop Jesus coming to earth to save you he loves you enough that even though he sees those things too he came to live and to die so that one day you could walk confidently into his kingdom so three gifts gold frankincense and myrrh which point us towards the good news of Christmas in his commentary on Matthew's gospel Michael Green writes in those three gifts we see who Jesus is what he came to do and what it cost him and just like the wise men we bow in wonder before a God who could love us that much as we draw to a close I don't know if you realize but this story in Matthew 2 is actually the story of two groups of wise men one group our wise men follow the star end up worshiping the newborn baby Jesus the other group of wise men are Herod's scribes and chief priests. They're wise men too. They knew exactly where Jesus was going to be born. And yet they refuse to make the journey. And they end up missing out. I remember one Christmas when I was about four or five, my parents set me a treasure hunt. They gave me a slip of yellow paper that said on it, go to the kitchen. And hidden somewhere in the kitchen was another slip of yellow paper with another clue. And I went around the house finding all these different clues until eventually I found the last one that said on it, go to the garage. In the garage, right in the middle, was a, a brand new bike, and I never had a bike before. The problem was, when I got to the garage, I didn't see the bike. I was too busy looking for the next clue. So much so that I ended up climbing over the bike in search of the next slip of yellow paper. The gift was right in front of my eyes, and I missed it. this Christmas comfort and joy can be yours God's gift is right here in front of our eyes Jesus the King who comes to live with us and die for us don't miss it